Welcome to The Work of Art. I'm Ted Weinstein. The Work of Art is a series of conversations with some of the world's leading writers, musicians, photographers, artists, and others discussing their creative process and their creative lives. Today's guest is author Ann Packer. She is the author of the best-selling novels The Dive from Clausen's Pier and Songs Without Words, and the short story collections Swim Back to Me and Mendocino. Her latest novel is The Children's Crusade. She spoke with me from her home in Northern California. Uh, Ann, thanks very much for joining. Thank you. And I'm curious, really, at the beginning of your own beginning, when did you first think of yourself as a writer? I think I started a little late for um, for most people. Uh, that is to say, not until I was in college. A lot of fiction writers um, and writers of other kinds tend to start in childhood or at least by adolescence. But as the daughter of a writer and the sister of a of an aspiring writer, um, I was I was the outlier, and I wasn't going to be a writer until I got to college and. Um, it was actually in my senior year, uh, a close friend of mine suggested that we take a fiction writing seminar together. And I pointed out to him that I had no interest in being a writer, but um, he was very persistent and clearly on some unconscious level, um, there were other things happening inside me about that prospect. So um, I, I applied for this writing class and um, got in and uh, I had kind of a conversion experience. I'd say within three weeks of beginning this class, uh, which was mostly at the beginning just writing exercises, exercises on dialogue, setting, that kind of thing. Um, I, I fell in love. There's really no other way to put it. I thought, uh, if this counts as work, <laughs> sign me up. What grade did you get in the class? <laughs> I'm, I I think I got an A. <laughs> I'd have to go find my transcript to tell you for sure. I'm sure I got an A. I think it was uh, the kind of class in which everyone gets an A. Okay. It's an impertinent question, but uh, <laughs> you're talking about encouragement from your family or demands from your family to be a writer. Uh, it's nice when you've also got uh, relative strangers saying the same thing. Yes, absolutely. And probably if I hadn't been getting encouragement from that teacher, I would not have uh, had the conversion experience. It was probably, they were all, you know, part of the same thing. Given how long you put off writing and how well you did right away in class, has your technique changed over the years since then? My technique has never changed, which is to say, I don't plan what I'm doing. I just dive in. Um, and it's a process of sort of finding my way forward almost, uh, almost blindly. So, I mean, I have something when I begin, but it may be as little as an image or a line, um, maybe a situation. And uh, without planning anything at all, I just start writing. And it was that way at the beginning, and it's that way now. So um, whether, it, whether it's a wise way to work or not, it's, it's been with me all along. Well, it clearly works. So you don't have a sense of where you're trying to get to or what the end is going to be? Maybe very vaguely I do, but I, I have no idea how I'm going to cross the, you know, the mountains of 100,000 words in the case of a novel or more, actually. Um, I think with the dive from Clausen's Pier, 
uh, I had a sense of the shape of the novel. I had a sense that the main character, who's a young woman whose fiance is injured in a diving accident, I had a sense that she would leave him and then that she would kind of come back to him. But um, I didn't know at all what the details would be and, and how it would um, be expressed or how it would feel or how it would sound to a reader. All of that was very much um, uh, just imagining it scene by scene um, as, I, as I made my way through the first draft. All of your writing has a very powerful mood. Does the mood come at the beginning and then you write in that tone? Or does that change over time as you work out what you're trying to write? I think the mood or tone um, or feeling is there from the beginning. Um, sometimes I think of it as a kind of a combination of, of voice. And I, I think mood is, is actually a really good way to talk about it. Um, Funny, in that first class that I was just talking about, uh, one of the other students was the writer Tom Parada. And um, he said to me, you know, in the last few years um, that he thought one of the interesting things about the two of us having started out in that class together is that we both sound now the way we sounded then, um, 35 years ago or whatever. And he's he's satiric and and sort of gently satiric and very funny. And, and I think he correctly pointed out that, that my work tends to be slightly on the melancholy side. You were full born from the head of Zeus at the beginning. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> How soon are you showing drafts or segments to others? Or is this a solitary craft for a long period or do you like getting feedback quickly? A very long period. I tend not to uh, show anyone anything until I have a complete draft. Uh, with a short story, you know, that's maybe a matter of months. But with a novel, that's a matter of years. And um, I have been pretty, uh, I've been committed to that uh, course of action for my entire writing life. Um, but interestingly, now uh, I have um, started showing very early work to someone. And it's it's really scary, um, but also quite exciting and sort of opens up the possibility for me that I will, um, I will want feedback early. And you want a different kind of feedback early on, I think, or at least I do. I'm in a writer's group and a lot of the other people do tend to show work in progress. Um, and what you want from someone who's reading 30 pages is very different from what you want from someone who's reading an entire draft that's 300 or 350 pages long. Um, what are you looking for at 30 pages? Certainly encouragement, but also a kind of description. Um, here's what I see. Here are the themes I'm recognizing and um, being compelled by. So I don't ever want anybody early on to be saying, oh, and this could happen or, um, oh, you, you have a really strong character over here with this woman, but um, that man is not going to take you anywhere and, and I'd maybe shut him down. That's the exact opposite of what I want. But someone who's saying, oh, I, I see... I see the development of this particular theme or I see the the potential for this particular theme to um, become important. That That's very valuable and interesting. 
you say you're in a writing group. It's with some pretty notable folks. I guess it's probably not wise to share the names of everyone who's in that group. But is it a a two-way group? Do you think you're contributing as much as you're getting from them? Oh, absolutely. It wouldn't work otherwise. Um, you know, I think we are we have a we we kind of combine um, great great honesty with um, with a lot of support. So the last thing any of us wants is just, you know, to be stroked or praised. Um, on the other hand, no, no writer, I don't think wants, um, wants anything like harsh criticism or, um, I think for, for people to be able to help you with your writing, they have to be sympathetic to your aims. And what our group is really able to do is, um, infer each other's aims and uh, bring sympathy to the to the reading of the work, given what we think those aims are. So we're very supportive, and, and that's key. Is that compatible with full feedback? Uh, I guess the difference between ruffling feathers and bruising someone. Can you really get uh, the deep kind of feedback you want without there being a risk of some hurt feelings? Yes, I think you can. I... I I, you know, different people have different levels of tolerance for having their decisions questioned. That's true in life as well as in art. And I think, you know, a successful writer's group is going to um, be made up of people who are sensitive to the, the needs and capacities of the other people in the group. So, you know, there, there are ways that I might talk to one group member that might differ a little from ways that I would talk to another. Um, but the whole point is, how do I, how do we um, make ourselves most useful to this person where she is right now today with this piece of work? And as long as that is sort of always the, the, the leading idea, the leading question, how do you do that? How do you make this happen? Then I think really good things happen. One of the things that I and every literary agent uh, is adamant about with clients or even just writers we meet casually is you must get in a writing group or some other setting for some systematic feedback. And if you're not ready to take it now, you definitely aren't ready for the big wide world when people aren't as gentle and kind and as uh, understanding. Um, so it's great that you've been in a group. How long has the group been together and how did it gel? I think that we first, the, the, the group was formed before I joined it, but only by about uh, a year or maybe 18 months. And it, it first started um, because a number of Bay Area people were at Breadloaf and um, met each other and um, felt community and decided to form a group once they were back home. And um, I knew a couple of the people in the group and sort of weaseled my way in. And um, so I guess, yeah, I guess, you know, we've, we've really been in the form we're in now for, for 10 years. A decade together. That's wonderful. Yeah. Have there been many people dropping in, dropping out? Not a lot. Maybe, um, maybe you know, one or two. Uh, one, one leaving because of a move, another leaving... Um, well, one left because she died, um, and someone joined us, um, 
kind of recently because he's the spouse of one of the writers and and is himself such an avid reader that it just seemed like it would be valuable to have another set of eyes. But it's it's pretty much the same same core group, um, the same group really for all this time. Beyond this group that's been together, uh, do you mentor? Do you give formal feedback to any other writers? I have started um, teaching some private classes in the last couple of years after um, after not teaching at all for at least a decade. And um, so so now I am doing some of that. And um, it's very rewarding. I, I really enjoy teaching. And um, I'm happy to be doing it in this format um, privately rather than at an MFA program because I think the writers, um, the writers tend to be less, less sort of driven by career interests and more just impelled by their own love of the work. And there's also not, as there often is with an MFA program, this sort of false promise that, um, you know, if you're good enough, you're going to make it, whatever that means. Um, and I think that, um, maybe the one the the one true thing about the literary world right now is that there's absolutely no fairness no justice and um many of the finest writers i know are not getting published and i don't think it's i don't think we're necessarily heading in a direction where that's going to change you mean the through a traditional publishing house as opposed to the self-publishing options, which are new and available now? Exactly. Tr- the, tr- the traditional publishing model is, um, is in trouble. And uh, because of that trouble is not, um, not serving writers or readers as well as it used to. And so a lot of wonderful work is not getting published and a lot of wonderful writers are um, feeling very frustrated. And so for a writing student to enter an MFA program thinking, you know, I'm going to put my two years in, I'm going to spend these thousands and thousands of dollars. And at the other end of it, I'm going to have a a book contract. Um, that, that, that model is old. (laughs) That model, unfortunately, if it ever was really a true thing has, has sort of faded away. Now you attended Iowa Writers Workshop. Did you earn an MFA? I did. I got an MFA in 1988. Um, so that was, I, I took five years after, um, after college and worked in publishing in New York and then went to Iowa and, and did, uh, did my MFA work. What did that do for you, both the program and the degree, if there are different things that they did? I would say that the degree did almost nothing. Um, the program, I mean, certainly it was helpful to have the degree um, in order to be read by editors. Um, and so I shouldn't say it did nothing, but, um, the program helped me a lot in that it, um, it both taught me how to think about how fiction is made and taught me that I already knew a lot about how to think about how fiction is made. Um, And it gave me this great concentrated two-year period where um, really all I had to to do was um, write and read and and read other people. And that's one of the great 
things about writing workshops, writing classes, studying writing. You learn at least as much by reading others and thinking about how to help them improve their work um, as you do by being read by those same people and having their feedback um, inform where you go in an extract. I'm going to emblazon that on posters and give them away for free because that's what we're always telling authors, uh, every <laughs> agent on the planet, um, that it's as much the process of giving feedback that makes you better uh, as much as receiving feedback. So uh, delighted to hear you say that. Yeah, absolutely. You talk about the, the credentialing of the MFA and obviously your fancy undergraduate degree and all those sorts of things. Um, does that matter for a writer? I mean, you say that writing came naturally to you for whatever reason. You were quickly off to the races with your own sense of the writing. Uh, the credentials were there as well for an aspiring writer. Um, which of those things, one, is amenable to their control, and two, which of those is important if they want to build a career as a writer? Um, very little is is in one's control, <laughs> unfortunately. Um you know, when I'm asked for advice or words of wisdom or words of encouragement for emerging writers, um, my emphasis is always on their process. And the, the, I think the most important thing for someone who wants to be a writer is to give up that idea and stop thinking about being a writer and listen to the ideas you have um, about I don't even like to use the word idea. Follow your impulse to write rather than worry about having a career. It, it needs to be about the writing, about the story, about the imagining, about being true to your own impulses rather than trying to figure out what to write in order to achieve a certain level of success. So you're not writing to the market or thinking this is what's popular in the fiction realms in this day and age? Absolutely not. And I think that's a terrible idea. I mean, it's so hard to write a book. The idea that you could say, okay, I'm going to write this kind of book because um, a book like this a year ago did really well. Um, that's a, that's a, a really a Faustian bargain because if you fail, then you've not only failed, but you have spent all this time doing something you didn't want to do. At least if you write the book you want to write, um, that's going to be a win whether you can get published or be successful or not. What do you read? Do you read other novelists um, or does it feel like competition or distraction or uh, a risk of plagiarism? Oh, no. I read, I read fiction all the time. Um, I... You know, I, I feel like my identity, not just as a writer, but as a person, um, is rooted in my love of fiction. And so um, nothing, nothing makes me happier than to um, enter a book and discover that I love being there. Um, you know, it's, it's not something that happens all the time, um, but when it does happen, it, it just, it... Um, I don't know. I think it's probably an overstatement to say it renews my faith in humanity, but not much of one. What other art forms do you uh, go out of your way to uh, study or experience widely? Well, I love the visual arts. Um, I was actually at the De Young Museum in San Francisco this afternoon and um, just 
chanced into a couple of galleries with, there was an early Diebenkorn that I could have just stood in front of for a long, long time. Um, there's an amazing, huge um, metal sort of textile by an African artist named El Anatsui hanging in this museum that's just glorious. So I, I can get very um, swept away by um, by visual art. I I love um, I love dance. There are some pieces in the Mark Morse uh, repertoire that take my breath away, even after I've seen them two, three, four times. Um, and uh, and movies. I I um, I'm a, a huge movie fan. I don't know how many movies I see. I would really say even aspire to be art, let alone um, achieve that. Uh, but I'm always looking for it. Um, so, and, and I love music, but I, in truth, um, music is, is sort of the art that I need someone else encouraging me toward to really, um, to really take advantage of it or experience it in a deep way. When you're enjoying the arts that are based in part on writing, whether it's actual novels or a movie, are you editing or disassembling or being especially critical of the writing or can you just lose yourself in the works? I'm always thinking about craft whenever there's narrative. Um, I wouldn't say that I'm editing. Um, well, I probably should say that I'm editing or wishing I could edit. <laughs> it's, it's the rare movie that I, that I leave without having the thought, you know, if only they had consulted me about a couple of those plot points <laughs> toward the end, I could have saved them, you know, a terrible mistake. Um, and I acknowledge that that is incredibly arrogant and grandiose. But I do, I do think a lot about narrative structure and about craft. And um, certainly when reading fiction, um, I'm always thinking about, thinking about it as something someone made. It doesn't exist for me as just a world to enter and love. It's always, I'm always looking at the construction and thinking about the construction. And does that feel like it's adding or would you like to at times be able to put aside the analysis and, and uh, deep digging? You know, it just is who I am. I don't really think about it as a, a, a good or a bad thing. It's just, um, it's just the way I operate. I mean, I think that I'm, I'm, I'm a very analytical person. So I'm thinking analytically about how people interact in life. Um, and, and that's kind of analogous really to the way I experience fiction. So what have you read lately and what have you seen lately that you would, uh, imagine as ongoing recommendations for strangers, uh, movies and books or any other art form for that matter, that's uh, recent that you think was really wonderful? Well, I, I'm going straight to TV. The TV show Transparent was really a revelation for me. And I, um, I was, I was very, very taken by both the storytelling and the, um, just the, the visual aspects of, of the show. Um, even just the credits I found very, very beautiful. So, um, that comes to mind. Um, and I've recently read the latest novel, uh, by Kate Walbert, which is called The Sunken Cathedral. And like all of Kate's work, it's just a, a beautiful, um, deep, thoughtful, poetic piece of fiction that I, I know I'll read again. I've actually already read it twice. And um, 
that I highly recommend to to other people. She's she's one of our best, you know, two or three writers. I I think firmly. Do you read many books twice? I would think you'd run out of time given all of the books that are there and the impossibility of choosing which to read next. Rarely, it's very very rare. I had a I had a practical reason to read it for, for the second time. Um, but I read I read her first novel, The Gardens of Kyoto, twice um, simply because I wanted to. You know, separated by many years. I read it once and I was enthralled. And um, I went back to it maybe five years later and started reading it again and just loved it again. So so what are you writing now? Are you in the midst of writing a new project? I have just started um, a new novel. And um, it was interesting. The publication of my last book happened in April uh, so three months ago, two, three months ago. And normally by the time I have a book published, I have already started working on the next book. That was not the case this time. And it had me pretty uneasy. Uh, and it was about six weeks after publication um, when I sort of finally had both the time and the energy and the faith um, to sit down and see what might happen. And at that point I had, you know, what I was saying before about often starting with almost nothing. I had almost nothing. It was as close to nothing as you can get without actually being nothing. But I sat down with it and I've now generated um, 30 pages and I feel like I have a sense of, of what this might be in the long run. Um, so, so knock on wood, <laughs> I'm off to the races. Given how organically projects grow in the way you describe it, how do you know when something is going to be a short story versus a novel? Well, you know, that's a great question given what I've said. But somehow or other, as I, as I have that image that is going to fuel something or a situation, a character, a line, along with that is kind of a feeling about what, what size this this thing might end up being. I've only been wrong once, and I wasn't wrong. I wrote one short story based on an idea I had for a situation that I then went back to uh, several years later, and um, I didn't rewrite the story into a novel, but I took the core situation and I developed it with different characters into a much larger story that was a novel. Do you ever try your hand at nonfiction? I have written some short uh, essays for magazines, um, but it's not a form I particularly like or feel particularly um, compelled by. Uh, as a as a writer, I do I do enjoy reading um, narrative nonfiction, and I enjoy reading memoir. But um, I actually feel like I can tell the truth better if I'm writing fiction. <laughs> It's interesting that you talk about having had a long gap before starting the most recent project. Um, many, many, many teachers and writers say uh, an important tool, an important mindset is to write something every day. That doesn't seem to be the way you approach your writing. I don't. Um, you know, I. it's certainly the case that if I'm having trouble, um, I'm going to have to force myself to sit down. But I don't, um, I don't feel... Uh, compelled to work every day. And I've certainly um, managed to produce five books without working every day. Maybe if I'd worked every day, I would have produced 10. Um, but it's the way, the way I approach it 
is very comfortable for me and gives me a, a balance between working and, and other activities that, that I enjoy. My guest today is Ann Packer, the author of The Dive from Clausen's Pier, Songs Without Words, Mendocino and Other Stories, Swim Back to Me, and most recently, The Children's Crusade. Thanks very much for talking. Thank you. You've been listening to The Work of Art. I'm Ted Weinstein. I hope you enjoyed this conversation and will listen to many more. Our theme music is by Mental99 and used with their kind permission. A production of Ted Weinstein Literary Management, this has been The Work of Art.